Master Tavern Keepers, History of the Old World. So, what happened in the immediate aftermath of the assassination of King Dunko then? Ach, well, with the bloody murder of the king at Glengivet, the Gwat pie pieces began to fall, each knocking over the next, and with each that toppled over, Macbeth got a little closer to the throne. Now, the only survivor of the king's retinue from the night of the murder was the wizard Mere Grey Kalkiner. After dragging himself out of the Givet River at the base of the mountains, he made his way to see the king's eldest son, Donald Bane, and told him of the bloody event at Glengivet. Calconer had not seen the faces of the leader of the orc mobs, but he knew it was no mere greenskin who pulled the strings, and warned the prince that he was in danger. This sent the prince into a panic, and he immediately resolved to flee, seeing assassin's blades everywhere he turned. And to be honest, he was probably right. For Macbeth had already sent a mob of goblins to kidnap the younger Prince Charles and bring him back to be thrown into one of the oubliettes in the dungeons of Castle Runsinane. And uh, by the time Donalbane reached his brother's abode, he was long gone, and all that remained was a burnt-out ruin. With the disappearance of the two heirs, a power vacuum developed around the throne, and coupled with the deaths of the Thane of Ross, Macduss, and the disappearance of the wizard Mere Grey, the remaining thanes and clan lairds came to eventually agree that the valiant Macdeath, Danko's nearest blood cousin, should be named the new king. And so, with this, the tyrannical reign of Macdeath began, and a spiral of misery slowly snaked out from the court of the new monarch to cover the land. The reason for this stems from something my old master, the Venerable Bede, once taught me. And here is the secret truth about power. Power doesn't corrupt. Power simply reveals the corruption that was already there. And absolute power will reveal absolutely every weakness that such an individual possesses. And so it was with Macduff. He began to see assassins everywhere as a... Tendrils of paranoia inveigled their way into his brain under the pretense of keeping him safe. He trusted no one and began to start executing anyone he suspected of plotting against him. As his downward descent continued, his delusions extended beyond his court and he conducted pogroms against clans and other groups he suspected of conspiring against him. As this was occurring, the sycophantic underlings who had survived the purges for uh, everyone of honour and merit had gone, were thriving in his shadow and exploiting the people of East Albion to amass more and more power for themselves. Macbeth's paranoia was creating exactly the conditions the king actually feared. As a result of this, and in desperation, Macbeth once more sought out the three witches who had initially sparked off the fire of madness that was now consuming the king. 
round about the cauldron go, in the poisoned entrails throw. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog. Scale of dragon, tooth of wolf, which is mummy, mo and gulf of the ravined salt sea shark, root of hemlock digged in the dark, boiling blood of innocence, permitted antioxidants, add there to a tiger's children for the ingredients of a cauldron. Double, 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 be bloody, bold, and resolute. Laugh to scorn the power of your foes. For no man of woman born shall harm Macbeth. Be lion-mettled, proud, and take no care. Who chafes, who frets, or where conspirers are. Macbeth shall never vanquished be until Great Clinty's wood to high Runcinane Hill shall come against him. Show his eyes and grieve his heart. Come like shadows, so depart. Depart. Where do you think you're after? I've got a couple of wee questions to put to you. I hope you can embroider him, cause you better stitch that. Ah, oh, my head! That will never be. Who can impress the forest, beat the tree, and fix his earthbound root? Sweet bottomance good. Rebellion's head lies never till the wood of Klimte rise, and our high-placed Macdeath shall live the lease of nature, pay his breath. To time and mortal custom. And so with that, the magical protection of the dark, many-eyed weaver of fates was gifted to Macdeath. But, as with all packs with the gods, particularly the dark gods and their demonic minions, every word has weight, and it is the words ignored that will undo the unwary. And although it is only Macdeath and Banquo who met with the witches that night, the details of the spell got out. The reason for this was a, was a strange one. Macdeath possessed a rare sword called Orna. It was a magical weapon that recounted the deeds done with it when it was unsheathed. I'm not sure if that's a weapon I'd want to use myself, but it was what it was. Anyhow, after the meeting with the hags, it grew strange and instead would repeat words from the witch's spell whenever it was unsheathed. In this way, 
Men and women still loyal to uh, Danko, who, despite the dangers, had remained steadfast and hidden in the court of Macdeath, were able to piece together the details of the dark pact the king had struck with the witches, and get this information out to their allies, and eventually to the ears of the heir, Prince Donalbane, and his ally, the Laird of Clan Macumen, Julia Macumen. It was these two, though uh, more so Julia than Donalbane himself, who came up with a plan to unravel the magics of the witches and thus unseat the usurper. Oh, yeah, and uh, how was that then? Ach, well, I could tell you. But, uh, Master Tavern Keeper, is this not one of your favourite parts of the tale? Ah, yes, indeed. Be bloody, bold and resolute. Laugh to scorn the power of your foes. For no man of woman born shall harm Macdeath. And it was in these vile words of the three hags that Julia McEwman had seen the answer. For although the spell prevented Macdeath from being slain by men, it did not extend to women, warriors from other races, or certain special individuals. I knew that was your favourite part of the play. Anyhow, Albion is mostly populated by men and women, to be true, but it is also the abode of uh, giants, terrifying monsters, some dwarfs, although not many admittedly, as well as a few uh, shipwrecked members of other races. Any of these could potentially hurt Macdeath with impunity. And so, in light of this insight, a plan of attack was formulated. And so, in one of the high towers of Castle McEwman, Prince Donalbane, Murgray Calconer, Julia McEwman, Hugo Yorkson, her bodyguard, and John Quickshire finalised the details of the plan. <coughs> if truth and justice here be found, twill be from this great table round. The tyrant's reign shall it soon fall, his castle smashed, his armies, <coughs> um, Paul? Of all the righteous here do assemble, so the usurper's court would dare. Ach. Tremble. Ach, yes, so the usurper's court would tremble. My father's murder must be avenged. Macdeath in chains. His vileness... Ugh. What's the word? You have some problem, my liege. I can't seem to think of anything that rhymes with avenged. Try pinched. But there's no such word. Well, this is only an idea. Does it matter anyway? Now look... Let's drop this verse all right and agree this grandiose plan tonight. Donald Bain will raise the tribes with speeches bold, colossal bribes, while Quickshire here, valiant and kind, quest of Harkness, dart to find, and I with my McEwen clan to windward voyage the McDee-Day plan, slaying Kit McCarno and his kin, thus repaying them for their sin. Then all to Bolling Glen shall go, for we march to meet our foe. 
Traita Charlotte And so it was that the day finally came. Under the joint leadership of Donald Bain and Julia McEwen, the Alliance made their move and set sail from McEwen Castle on McEwen Island, off towards Windward Harbour, to set their thirst for vengeance before dedicating themselves to the death of Macdeath. <laughs>